All right, so now uh, I love when that happens. It wakes you up, doesn't it? So I can thank God for that. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I thank God um, for the grace that he has given me to, um, to look into his word um, and to, to go into it and be enamored by what he has to say. Um, but at the same time, with that joy, there's the weight of God's word that lies upon any man who stands up to share and say, thus saith the Lord. Um, and so continue to pray for me as, uh, as I share this with you. Um, on December 17th um, last year, which is a couple of weeks ago, uh, the long-awaited seventh Star Wars episode was released, Okay? Came out in theaters all across Canada. Everyone was talking about Star Wars. Whether I went to work, if it was at church, if it, even when I took up my phone, I'd have articles talking about Star Wars. And I remember talking to Melvin and Josh, and we were sitting and we were t- reminiscing of when it came out in 1977, how the, the, the first episode when it, it came out was... You know, the models were built way beyond its time. The movie was just awesome. The storyline, the, the lightsaber scenes. <laughs> the movie came out in 1977. And ever since then, you can say that there's a nation of Star Wars fans. And, you know, I've seen the movies. I've... I've played games of it over, over my life. I've seen the Clone War episodes, so those of you who know it. But, but you see, what I was doing there is, is what I would say is praising. In, in all intents and purposes, when you boast or brag about something, when you enjoy something, when you talk about it, you're praising, you're, you're boasting about it. And so when we talk about Star Wars, we're saying that series was awesome. We enjoyed it. And, and, and indirectly, you praise those who created it. You, you praise those who acted in it. You know what? This is exactly what praise means in the Bible. The word hilal means boasting bragging, talking about, stating. It can be seen in different forms. Psalms, hymns, songs, mu- musical instruments, even dancing, speaking, talking about something where you boast or brag or exalt. You see, in Psalm 66, which we're going to be turning our attention to today, that's our focus, it's a psalm of thanksgiving and praise which summons the whole earth by Israel rejoicing and celebrating its redemption down to the very praise and thanks of one individual who brings his offerings to God and calls on the faithful. Hey, listen, those who fear God, come, listen, I have a story to say. And it's like a minor version of the story of Israel. He speaks to us about a God, guess what, that doesn't just only care about the many, but even the one. He speaks of a God who calls out. 
And he says, I will tell you what he has done for me. So as we go through this psalm, and the topic being make his praise glorious, I have divided it in three sections. A call to the nation, which is from verse 1 to 4. A call from the community, which is verses 5 to 12. A call from the individual, which is 13 to 20 in the Psalms. So as I'm going to read this Psalm 66, I'm going to ask you all to stand up. And I'm going to be reading from the ESV. This is Psalm 66 in the ESV. And this is what it says. This is the call to the nations. Shout for joy to God all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Give to him glorious praise. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you. All the earth worships you and sings praises to you. They sing praises to your name, Selah. Then we come to the call from the community from verses 5 to 12. Come and see what God has done. He is awesome in his deeds towards the children of man. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the river on foot. There did we rejoice in him who rules by his might forever, whose eyes keep watch on the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. Selah. Bless our God, O peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard, who has kept our soul among the living and has not let our feet slip. For you, O God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. You brought us into the net. You laid a crushing burden on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water. Yet you have brought us out to a place of abundance. And this is the call from the individual from verses 13 to 20. I will come into your house with burnt offerings. I will perform my vows to you, that which my lips uttered and my mouth promised when I was in trouble. I will offer to you burnt offerings of fattened animals with the smoke of the sacrifice of rams. I will make an offering of bulls and goats. Selah, come and hear all you who fear God and I will tell what he has done for my soul. I cried to him with my mouth, and high praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But truly, God has listened. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, because he has not rejected my prayer or removed his steadfast love from me. Father, we thank you, O Lord God, for this time. We thank you for your beautiful words. We are in love with it, for this is the only way we can come to understand or comprehend who you are and how great and majestic you are. And we pray for this few minutes as we spend time in your precious eternal word that you would take away distractions, that our hearts would be open and your spirit would till and, and toil with our souls, with our hearts, that it would bear much fruit, fruit of praise. In Jesus Christ's precious and holy name. Amen. 
You see, in this psalm, I see in the first four verses, the psalmist laying down the principles of praising God, of God and our Lord. The quality of our praise must be glorious. Here is a call to all nations and all people, all creation, to shout for joy to God and to sing the glory of his name and to give him glorious, magnificent praise. Praise that is fitting for the God of the universe. It is never trivial. It is what any believer must bring before God. You know, just as it said in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6, a great chapter, by the way, to go back and read entirely, it says that this is God's will for us. In love, he predestined us for adoptions as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Now I know, you know for, for some of us, we struggle. We find it very hard to praise God. You know, we don't overflow with gratitude. We don't overflow with praise to God. But you see, God's word tells us that there is something very wrong if that's the case. We shouldn't be satisfied when we do not praise him. Neither should we be satisfied when we give him trivial praise. Our God is an awesome God. He reigns. That's how we are. That's how we are. If God created and redeemed us to the praise of his glorious grace, then when we do not praise him, we stand in opposition to his purposes in redemption. We stand opposing his will. He redeemed you for a purpose, and that is to give glorious praise for his glorious grace. So what's the problem here? You know, John Piper stated this. It's the old man. The old man can't carry a tune in a bucket, and he doesn't want anybody else to either. He's so weak and beggarly, he can't even make a joyful noise. The only thing that crotchety old man is good for is to go off in a corner over there and grumble about Christians who seem so enthused all the time. It's the flesh, the, the old man that we struggle with. Now, see, I'm not going to... You're going to say, okay, what's the solution? Give me a solution. This is what the Bible says. To fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our salvation. And the Holy Spirit will work in our hearts. He will work in our hearts to such a point that we will bring praise to God for His glorious grace. It is in remembrance of God and who He is and His mighty deeds that there is much praise. I can't do anything for you and your heart. The heart is deceitful. It's wicked. 
<laughs> the old man and our flesh, we have other desires. But the one thing that we can do is to get into his word and to remember, bring to remembrance what he's done. And that's what the psalmist does here. The psalmist says, we are called to say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you. The KJV renders it as, how terrible art thou in thy works. Through the greatness of thy power shall thine enemies submit themselves unto thee. Now the word terrible does not mean horrible, but fearful. You know, as we look at the world and all of nature, the beauty of it and the horror at times, the famines, the hurricanes, the earthquakes, the tsunamis. Now don't laugh, but even the double rainbows. And I say this, and I say this, because there was one in Milton a few months ago. And I will tell you, God is my witness. It was the most brightest, solid, double rainbow I have ever seen in my life. And it spanned the whole of Milton. It was so enormous and beautiful. All our neighbors were out on the streets. It was like the movie, in the movie, Independence Day, the UFO comes in. Everyone's like, what's going on? We had kids. We had parents. And, and in the Milton chat that we had, we were sending pictures of it. But I'll tell you, you know, at that moment, I felt so insignificant. I was amazed as I thought of God. The fear and reverence that God deserves came into realization. I was awed by a double rainbow. I was amazed by a double rainbow. We see what Romans 1 verse 20 says. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. Now all of this stuff is on a speck on earth that is part of a huge galaxy that is part of an innumerable number of galaxies that span the whole universe, all of which God created and can wipe out with a single thought. The psalmist reminds us that the works that God has carried out through the greatness of his power shall make every and all enemies fall prostrate on the ground. They will be overwhelmed beyond measure that the only option, the only course or action that they can is to submit themselves to God, not because they're obedient. And the NASB says this, states feigned obedience. It's not willingly, but man, I ought to now. I can't but say it. So great is God and his mighty power. And the psalmist goes on to say, See, listen, all the earth worships you and sings praises to you. They sing praises to your name, Selah. But I look at this as a future revelation of what is to happen and how things ought to be. It is a promise which is yet to materialize. And the KJV and the NASB captured this because there it states shall and will. 
They shall, all the earth shall worship you and will sing praises to you. And so we see this in Revelation 7, verse 9 to 12, don't we? It says, after this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. The psalmist who calls to the nations, praise be to God, give him glorious praise, pens down for us the community that calls out to the nations. It says in verse, from, uh, verse 5, it says, come and see what God has done. This community here talks about the redemption, their redemption. Their story, though, points to the events of the Red Sea, where God delivered the nation of Israel from Egypt, and even the event of the drying up of the Jordan River, where God brings them to the promised land. That's why in Joshua 4, 21 to 24, it says, And he said to the people of Israel, When your children ask their fathers in times to come, What, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. It's a reminder for the children on how God brought them through the Jordan River on dry ground, and a reminder for the children of how God brought their parents out from Egypt across the Red Sea. It's a beautiful remembrance. So that's what we see in Psalm 66, 67. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the river on foot. There did we rejoice in him who rules by his might forever, whose eyes keep watch on the nations let not the rebellious exalt themselves, Selah. He is our God, brothers and sisters, that is not dead or has ever suffered defeat. He rules by his might forever, and he is a God that sees the whole universe and holds it together. He watches all the nations, no matter who comes in power in any country, if it's the liberals or the NDP or the conservatives or who knows who, no matter the situation, he is the God that sees every man and all his thoughts. He is the God that saw Nathaniel under the fig tree. He is the God who sees you and knows all that you are and all that you do. Nothing ever is hidden from him. He's omniscient, he's omnipresent, and he's omnipotent. He's all-knowing. 
He's present everywhere. He's all-powerful. There is none like him. And the psalmist goes on to say, Psalm 66 was 8 to 12. Bless our God, O people. Let the sound of his praise be heard. Who has kept our soul among the living and has not let our feet slip? For you, O God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. You brought us into the net. You laid a crushing burden on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water, yet you have brought us out to a place of abundance. You see, he says, bless our God. There's a special relationship here that other nations cannot boast about. The community calls on one another, come, let's bless our God. I cannot but find a beautiful correlation to us here, the redeemed. Just as we come together, bless our God. And just as we have a remembrance table and the little ones ask us, what is that about? And we say, this is the story of our redemption. And you, hopefully one day, will join us in this beautiful memorial and remembrance. We are the ones who should lead the praise that is heard. It has to be audible. You know, I tend to, when, when, when we t- talk about praise, the most visible form seems to be singing. And uh, there are quite a few times, maybe some of you noticed this, when we, after our break, we, or during our break, I forget the name of what we call the singing, but, <laughs> but when we sing songs and our doors are open, you'll see some of the members from the Lutheran church or the Anglican church come and stand there, and they'll listen. They may not enter, they'll stand out there and they'll listen. I remember encountering one of them. It's like, oh, I remember this song. This is good. It's beautiful. Praise ought to be heard. It ought to be heard. There is no biblical concept of silent praise. If you think you can silently praise God, I can tell you it isn't a biblical concept. And I would toss that thought out. Your praise is always to be heard. We also see in these verses a profound truth and a biblical habit that is acknowledged by the psalmist. You see, we see that the hand of God is in all events, okay, which makes suffering as meaningful as the deliverance. The psalmist says, you tested us, you tried us, you put us in the net, you laid a crushing burden, you let men ride overhead, yet you have brought us to a place of abundance. We see the serenity of God through tribulation and through times of abundance. Nothing happens, brothers and sisters, without God permitting it. And neither is he surprised by events in your life. This causes us, or ought to cause us, to confess that we enjoy life and security by gift and not by right. Okay? 
it causes us to confess that we enjoy life and security by gift and not by right. Now, Charles Spurgeon said this once about this passage. He says, They were pressed even to anguish by their burdens and pains. God's people and affliction are intimate companions. As in Egypt, every Israelite was a burden bearer, so is every believer while he is in this foreign land. As Israel cried to God by reason of their sore bondage, so also do the saints. We too often forget that God lays our afflictions upon us. If we remember this fact, we should more patiently submit to the pressure which now pains us. The time will come when for every ounce of present burden, we shall receive a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. See, we come now to the climax of the psalm. We see the congregation calling out to the nations, the kind of praise that is worthy to God. And now you come to this thanksgiving that is capped by a single worshiper. See, God leaves room for the small and the few who matter to him as much as the many and who are those who find themselves, not lose themselves in his great congregation. So it says from verse 13 to 20, I will come into your house with burnt offerings. I will perform my vows to you that which my lips uttered and my mouth promised when I was in trouble. I will offer to you burnt offerings of fattened animals with the smoke of the sacrifice of rams. I will make an offering of bulls and goats, Selah. Come and hear all you who fear God and I will tell what he has done for my soul. I cried to him with my mouth and high praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But truly, God has listened. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, because he has not rejected my prayer or removed his steadfast love from me. We see here a worshiper, one who wants to bring high praise to God in the midst of the congregation. The worshiper wants to bring to God burnt offerings. And and here's the thing about burnt offerings. They are holy for God. You know, there are some sacrifices that the priest or the one offering it could offer it and partake of it. But the burnt offerings are not so. They're completely consumed on the fire to God. And this shows the kind of offering that that displays for us the indebtedness of the offerer. It doesn't just end there. He says, listen, I won't just offer you burnt offerings, Lord. I will offer you burnt offerings of what? Fattened animals. You see, this man doesn't give a starving goat or a bull. He gives the best of the best, a fattened animal. We see a great and glad heart of gratitude displayed here. One which, to be honest, we are all called to carry out. Psalmist says, I will give you my best, nothing lesser. To be honest, this is something that is permeating into my heart. 
and it's something that God is working in me, the best that I can offer. You see, the God of this universe, the God of this universe gave us the best himself. How can we even think of giving anything less than ourselves? Because even if I were to give myself fully, what is it in comparison to God? God gave us the best. Charles Spurgeon uttered these words. He who is miserly with God is a wretch indeed. The psalmist gives the best he has to offer. And he says, listen, come. I want you to come and hear all that my God has done for my soul. It's a personal invitation to all, to everyone. And it's, and it's you know what? It's not just constrained to God's redemption, but of God's provision of all things on a daily basis. He will count and recount the mercies of God to us. It's basically, hey guys, guess what? It's testimony time. You know, we, <laughs> we had a, a testimony time on New Year's Eve and, and we heard of, of, of those of us who went through times of struggle, try, times of abundance and, and times of just sustenance. But you know, it, it, it shouldn't be just once a year. Our praise, our testimony must be more than that. A daily basis. We should be testifying to one another. We should be testifying to those outside of how God has provided, sustained, redeemed you. You know, it's in praise is the sharing of the gospel. Because the gospel, when proclaimed, is praising God. It is highlighting a God that is unlike any other God that your human mind in this world can come up with. A God is far greater, far holier, far perfect, far more loving than anything that people have had stories about. Any other religion talks about. And the psalmist says, come and I will tell you what he's done for my soul. And he also goes on to say that when he praises, there is prayer that comes along with it. There is prayer that comes along with it. And he goes on to reaffirm the fact that, listen, if there was iniquity within me, God wouldn't have heard my prayer. And you see, in the fulfillment of that prayer, and I believe a prayer is fulfilled when it's in, in, the, in, the, in, in parallel to the will of God, there is much praise. There is much praise that is brought forth. We are commanded to praise God. See, in this, in this I, I look at this as this is our psalm. 
NLBC. We ought to be singing, talking about God, you know, with the talents that God has brought us forth, lift up his exalted name. And as individuals, that's the beauty of it, because here you see the picture of this congregation praising God, and then it's just like a worship session, a remembrance meeting where someone stands up and says, listen, I want to talk about God. That's what's, what's kind of happening here. This lone worshiper says, in the congregation midst, I'm going to stand up. Here's what he's done. Here is how God ought to be glorified. So the first and foremost thing I want us to remember, we must praise him as a redeemed people. We are commanded to. It's fundamental. It is, it is the fundamental purpose as to why we are here. Why any one of us are here. To praise God and to make him known to everyone around us. Whether it is by songs, playing instruments, speaking about him, dancing in all things joyfully. Do it joyfully. And some of you would say, dancing? You know, I know in a cultural context it's not normal <laughs> here. But I'll give you an example. A few days ago, my daughter, Avia, you know, she, when you, when you put her down for bedtime, we tend to either sing to her because she loves it, or sometimes she just falls asleep. So I was singing to her, and I carried her in my arms. And the uh, funny thing is, I, I sing only two songs, because I fully know those two lyrics. To be honest, I, I struggle with lyrics. You can talk to Sinead, I'm like, I can't get to lyrics into my mind. This Jesus loves me, this I know, and that's probably the first verse. <laughs> <laughs> and Jesus, 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 what a beautiful name. And as I, as I got her with the intentions of her falling asleep, I sang Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And as I sang it, I closed my eyes and I was swaying in the room. And I sang out as much as I could because it was a beautiful remembrance of who it is that I'm singing of. And I looked and opened my eyes and did the opposite reaction to my daughter. I didn't make, put her to sleep. She was like, <laughs> like this, and I was like, okay. <laughs> was not the intended reaction. So you know what? Dance with your little ones. Praise God. There are tons of us here who have little ones now. But in all things, do it joyfully. Joyfully. Second thing, and this is important to praise. <laughs> we must praise him by understanding who he is. The only way to do that is to see what he has revealed to us about himself. And that can be only done by reading his word. See, anything else we talk about when we talk about God that is outside of this is just gibberish. It's just unfounded. There is no way that you know God more than what he's revealed here. His word declares to you his character, his personality, the deeds that he has done. So if you want to praise God, and not just the deeds, but God for who he is, the word is where you got to go. Now the third thing, which is the obvious thing, the obvious thing that we praise God for is the redemption that we have. The marvelous work of the redemption that he has freely given us 
the finished work on the cross and Jesus Christ's resurrection. It's the obvious. And the fourth thing is we praise him continually. As I mentioned, recounting, bringing to memories how God has provided for us. I can't tell you as parents, to our kids, bring to remembrance. Show them. We ought to show them that we have a God who's alive and who's at work. We have to bring to remembrance what he has done in our lives. Those are the four things that at the least I hope and I pray will cause us to make his praise glorious, whether at home, whether at church, whether it's at work, whether we bump into someone in the grocery store. So I, I want us to, to take 30 seconds. I'm going to give you all 30 seconds to just pray. To take some time, talk to God. Try to see if there's anything that's preventing you from praising God. Now I'm going to pray and, and before that, you know, for those of you who are interested, two questions to take away. How do you plan to be intentional in your praise? Intentional in your praise. And secondly, it's an additional reading. How does Paul praise God in Ephesians chapter one? So how do you plan to be intentional in your praise and, and how does Paul praise God in Ephesians chapter one? And um, I'm going to pray now, and after I pray, uh, if we can, um, sing hymn six, which is holy, 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 and I'll ask the whole congregation to stand up while we pray. Father, we thank you, O Lord God. You are beautiful. You are marvelous. You are the only one who is worthy of our attention, our adoration. We thank you because you are so kind. The fact that you've allowed us to call you our Father, such a privilege. We thank you because you are a God who is so holy, a thrice holy God. And we are, we are just man. And we ask ourselves, what is man that you will be mindful of us? We're here one day, we're gone the next. <laughs> and you, O Lord God, were before even we existed. Father, we thank you, O Lord, for when we look in Look at creation, your handiworks. We see your divine power and your invisible attributes. Lord, you are a God who is way beyond our comprehension. Yet you step down. You step down into this world that was filled with sin, cesspool of sinners, wretched individuals, and you showed us love. When we spat on you, you healed us. Mm. 
When we pierced you, you gave us food. Father, when we cursed you, you said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. We thank you for your beloved son. We thank you for Jesus Christ, this powerful story of redemption. And we pray, Lord God, that we would be overjoyed by this gift of eternal life and this living hope that we have today. And we pray that in all that we do, we will bring you praise and much praise indeed. Guide us, lead us not into temptation and deliver us from all evil, O Lord. We pray that your kingdom would be here soon. In Jesus Christ's precious and holy name. Him six, holy, 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 Lord God. <coughs> if you could all stand up and sing this last hymn. Holy, 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 Lord God.